You are listening to the QSR Web Podcast. Brave, awesome cooks, fast and fearless in the face of overwhelming odds. Those are just a few of the things firefighters are known for. And in the case of the two former firefighters behind firehouse subs, it turns out those are also apparently darn good qualifications for building a great sub chain. I'm QSR web editor and podcast host Shelley Whitehead. And when we come back, we'll sit down with Firehouse Sub CEO Don Fox, who will talk to us about reimagining the brand stores at 25 years in and what the path forward looks like. And that's in just a few seconds. The Interactive Customer Experience Association's mission is to connect B2C brands to technology that elevates the customer experience. Brands have access to resources, project help, news, and insights based around boosting their customer experience. Suppliers gain network opportunities to reach these brands and help them provide solutions to elevate their customer experience. Join today at ICXA.org. Anyone who's ever been to a firehouse subs location around mealtime knows they can be pretty bustling hives of activity. Heck, I once spent part of lunch hour totally enthralled by the sub-filling grill master of one of its Indiana store employees. But then, like the firefighter brothers who founded the chain 25 years ago, hustling like your hair's on fire is all part of the game. And that surely lent itself to the QSR success in an industry that moves at lightning speed. But then so has the brand's ability to quickly adapt, as we're hopefully going to hear more about as we talk to Firehouse Sub CEO Don Fox here today on the podcast. And welcome, Don. Thanks, Shelley. It's a pleasure to be with you. Well, likewise. So let's just start on that topic of change at the brand then, because there's a lot going on at Firehouse now to adapt and thrive in this increasingly delivery-centered business through the brand's new prototype, which we'll get to very shortly. But first, can you kind of give us a freeze frame of the chain at the moment, including things like locations and sales and even your geographic reach right now? Sure. Uh, We are currently a system of 1,178 restaurants, uh, the vast majority uh, in the uh, United States. We have 30 restaurants in Canada. That's a newer story for us over the past three years, and the brand's doing great up there. But uh, we're in 45 states in the U.S., plus Puerto Rico. And uh, we are primarily franchised. We do have 38 company restaurants. Uh, Almost all of those are located in Northeast Florida, which is where our headquarters is at and and where Firehouse was founded back in 1994. But franchising has been the main vehicle for growth for uh, going on 20 years uh, of our history. So a little bit more concentration in the Southeast and Mid-Atlantic, but uh, uh, increasing presence out West. Phoenix is one of our largest markets now. Uh, the uh, what we would call our central region has grown nicely. Uh, probably the least penetrated part of the country is up in the uh, upper portions of the Northeast. Burr. I can see why. <laughs> no offense, Northeast. 
<laughs> but he's in Jacksonville. That's what we all have to remember right about now. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we enjoy we enjoy that great year-round weather for business. Yeah, terrific. <laughs> so while the system is strong, it's also being swayed equally strongly by the market forces that are affecting every QSR brand, namely fewer in-store customers, much more delivery and catering. And that kind of leads to the brand's new design prototype. Can you tell us what the major focus is of that initiative and what the initial customer response has been like at the locations where you have transformed? Uh, certainly. Well, we, we had a few key objectives going into the redesign, uh, and not necessarily in this order uh, of uh, ranking uh, or, or importance, but the one was that our legacy design, uh, which has been relatively unchanged for our entire 25-year history, uh, is a little bit counterintuitive, uh, no pun intended there. People have a hard time navigating the counter and figuring out exactly where to order. You know, some of our major competitors uh, have a different type of queuing system. Ours is uh, counter to that. Uh, in, in our system, you pay first. Uh, so you're, you're queued up in line waiting to, to pay in order. And uh, so that's not a natural flow to a lot of, uh, to a lot of folks when they come in um, upon their first exposure to Firehouse. So uh, we, we wanted to make it, uh, the, the whole queuing and ordering process, uh, more intuitive for people as they came in. Because while, while we are getting into some thinner air with over 1,000 restaurants, we still have a heck of a lot of development to do. So we're very conscious of those first uh, reactions that uh, customers have when they come in. Uh, another thing we wanted to solve for is speed of service. We, we get very high marks for speed of service uh, within the restaurant industry through various consumer work that is done. But those are high marks relative to guest expectations when they come into our brand. Empirically, uh, we're, not, we're not fast food. Our, our service standard is four to six minutes from the time someone orders until they get their food. It, it takes two minutes and 45 seconds to heat the meat and cheese that goes on the sandwich. So those are things that are not typical of uh, not, not only QSR restaurants, but I'd say even fast casual uh, restaurants. So we have an opportunity for the purposes of enhancing the overall experience and for increasing throughput as well to try to get those times down. So we've, we've addressed that in some elements of the prototype, uh, and that has to do with the back of the house, uh, the, the kitchen setup. Uh, another thing we wanted to do is to better position ourselves to deal with the um, shrinkage in the dining room uh, presence. Uh, a lot of people talk about growth of delivery services, even in your intro, you, you mentioned delivery. Uh, the way I like to characterize what's going on in the industry, it's really about the decline in dine-in. That's the underlying issue uh, because the industry is not growing in, in terms of traffic, certainly. Uh, the industry has been played by that. So it's all a shift. And so, so the underlying story may seem like semantics on one end, but it's really not about the decline in dine-in and the customers shifting those occasions to various forms of off-premise, not just delivery. In fact, uh, the shift to off-premise in other areas outside of delivery is greater, I think in most brands' case, certainly is in ours. So, so we have to be able to have the optimum experience when it comes to uh, not just dealing with the delivery orders, but also online order pickup. We have a program called Rapid Rescue to Go. Uh, not terribly complicated to execute, really. It's a matter of 
as some other brands are now doing too, having a place where the food, the order is stationed for customers to come and pick it up. So we've woven all that uh, into the design. And last but not least in the prototype, we've downsized the facility because with the, uh, with the declines in dine-in business, it does allow us to pick up some economy in the restaurant, uh, reduce rent you, by virtue of getting the footprint down, uh, reducing the number of seats, and uh, that is uh, serving us well so far. Uh, we only have one of the units open so far. We opened back in uh, July uh, here in Jacksonville, and we're uh, in the very latter stages now of doing the consumer research, uh, some validation work, uh, and uh, we'll have that wrapped up by early to mid-January at the latest, and uh, then make our decisions on how, on how we move forward uh, with it in the system. Very encouraging what we're seeing so far. Very encouraging. So, so customers are liking it. That it they are getting through the experience of um, whether that will be takeout or dine in. They're they're enjoying well, it, it. it. Yes. Well, it's definitely ringing the cash register. So the sales performance of the <laughs> restaurant is terrific. It's performing. Uh, Currently at a, at a level that's about 60 to 65 percent higher than our average restaurant in the system. Wow! Uh, so that's terrific, and that's part of the consumer work you then have to do to figure out exactly what's contributing to that. It's probably a number of, of things, but very encouraging to see that type of sales level. And one thing that we didn't expect to see is that our use of the dining room has actually increased as a percentage of sales. Now we did take the opportunity with redesign to change some things in terms of the ambiance. And we always had very high ratings, uh, not unusual to be best in class in terms of the decor, the image of our restaurants. It pays uh, homage to firefighters and first responders. Um, I, I think we've always done a very good job at that. But one of the things that we realized over time too is that, that our decor and uh, marketing materials produced a lot of uh, a lot of clutter in the restaurant. We saw in our research that there were a lot of messages and cues that the customer really wasn't seeing. You know, we weren't getting credit for it. So we took this redesign as an opportunity to streamline some things, uh, to skew the dining room even to more of a fast casual feel as opposed to QSR. We had some some elements of both. Uh, I think it's fair to say in the in the older design. Yeah. And uh, and we have, and I, I, to be candid, I wasn't expecting it. We have a larger usage of the dining room. Our, in our system, we're doing about 38% of our business in the dining room. Uh, this prototype's running closer to 45% on a very high uh, base of sales. So, of course, we downsized the dining room <laughs> too. So, so one of the most frequent anecdotal comments we get from customers is why'd you make the dining room so small? <laughs> and, and we want to say, well, <laughs> that's a long story. You people in, are in hard many, to figure out. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Hey, it would be a blessing if it turned out that uh, that those image enhancements and so on that they were contributing to uh, to increased usage. Uh, we prefer that that's the way the industry goes, and I think I could speak for just about every operator out there that would love to have more people in their dining room. It's it's. Uh, critical in many respects uh, for us, even though we've made significant uh, improvement in our packaging and, and enhancing our off-premise experience, 
no matter what we do, the on-premise experience is always going to be better in terms of quality and presentation of the food. You know, we, when someone dines in, we, we don't wrap it in fast food packaging. We serve it plated in a, in a, a basket uh, that's, that's lined. So a great presentation, again, something we get very high marks for, something that uh, none of our competitors do. Uh, when people dine in, their inclination to buy beverages is significantly higher than on a, on a takeout transaction. So that has a fundamental impact on profitability. So, so I would love to see a, re a reversal in consumer trend to more people dining in. Again, we didn't design with that as a goal. Uh, and again, this is just one restaurant, but it is interesting to note that we're having greater success on that count. So again, we take stock of it and uh, can't rule anything out at this point in terms of how we move forward. Uh, uh, we might even possibly come out of it saying, well, maybe we should bump our dining room size up a little bit more if, if this gives us some type of uh, sustained uh, ad advantage in the mix between on-premise and off-premise. Isn't that interesting? You know, so, but still, this is all a lot of cost and effort, and it's part of kind of that constant goal of staying out in front of the pack in this sector. So I'm wondering, can you give us an idea of how you see the current overall competitiveness? of the sub sandwich yeah. category now say versus 10 or 20 years ago and how well, firehouse is positioning yeah, itself i'm sorry yeah, yeah, if, you, if you if you if you go back in time i mean really far back uh and i'll let's say 15 years uh you had three national competitors you had subway you had quiznos uh quiznos was really on their way up but, but they they eventually became the second national uh, sandwich brand. And Blimpy perhaps had been there, but was already uh, declining. So of course, Quiznos ills are, are well documented. I don't need to repeat them, but they've contracted tremendously by orders of magnitude. Uh, Subway for many years, of course, continued to grow, getting well past the 25,000 working units. And, but during all that period of time, up until really about three years ago, uh, you had Jimmy John's, Jersey Bikes, and Firehouse emerging as the other national players. So with, with Quiznos' decline, that, that's what we're left with today. But, but the big change in dynamic the last three years, of course, is the erosion of Subway's store base. Uh, having uh, over 1,000 restaurants uh, you know, net loss in units last year, we have, I haven't heard a projection for this year. wouldn't surprise me if it's another 1,000 units. Um, but, uh, but go, go, going south and, and their loss in units over 2000, at least from 2016 to 2018 in the US, they had a decline of well over 2000 units. And, and that's led to overall contraction in the sandwich category. There were actually, at the end of 2018, there were more than a thousand units less in our segment than there had been three years prior. So very much, very counter to what the industry is seeing overall, which is still, Continue, even, even though the restaurant industry is so mature, there still continues to be increased per capita presence of, of restaurants, but not so in the sandwich category. Uh, so that might lead one to immediately say, well, it's a less competitive environment uh, than it was. I, I, I don't hold that belief because the fact is that to some degree, the uh, loss of subways have created a vacuum that has been filled, not completely filled, because they're still, again, you've, you've had more than a thousand units less in the category. But 
to the degree that part of that subway vacuum has been filled, it's been filled with much stronger competitors, including us. But I'll give uh, you know Jersey Mike's their due, Jimmy John's are formidable competitors. There are a number of regional competitors that are all more formidable in the sense that their food quality in particular to a to a every brand is demonstrably better than than subway so uh, we may be competing against less units in the category but we are competing against stronger players and and now uh, over a very broad uh, national footprint so interesting times uh, for the segment for sure it really is and it's it's great to have kind of the way that you framed it um because it, it puts a new light on things and it's kind of, uh, it seems like the category is getting a little more high end. Is that maybe part of it? Yeah, I, I think that uh, when, you, when you look at the brands that have continued to grow in the category uh, and have been successful in growing their units, growing their average unit volume, um, having higher quality product is a common denominator. So as, as uh, brands have chipped away at the sandwich category, I, I think it could be uh, said with confidence to a great degree at Subway's expense. The consumers that are being peeled away are those that have a deeper appreciation for those type of qualities, food quality in particular, but also sometimes for convenience. Um, you know, Jimmy John's famously has uh, centered their brand on delivery, and they get good marks with the consumer for that. Uh, of course, they're not doing uh, third-party delivery. They've eschewed that, but you know, they're staying focused on their own delivery uh, uh, methodology. And in many respects, again, I think it could be fairly said, uh, they've become more convenient than Subway, even though Subway is so ubiquitous in locations. And that, that's where Subway gains its convenience ratings by the virtue of the fact that there's one on, uh, you know, every. It seems like every corner sometimes, but again, so so ubiquitous that, that that's how they gain the, the convenience uh, ratings that they do. But uh, so so every competitor has gone in and find ways to be better at different parts of the the business. Um, certainly with Firehouse, uh, our food quality is our absolute strength. Uh, but then we've got one other really key asset to our brand, which is what we do in the community. Uh, through our Firehouse Hubs Public Safety Foundation and, and commitment to community and supporting first responders. Uh, we've now crossed the $46 million mark on equipment that's been donated uh, to first responders uh, all across the country and internationally. We, we have a separate foundation actually now that is servicing uh, the needs of our Canadian markets. So that really sets us apart and we, and we get a lot of credit from the consumer uh, for the work that we do there. And of course our consumer gets <laughs> great credit for it because uh, our our customers are are the folks that contribute uh, the majority of the funds that come into the foundation about so 65 to 70 percent well it's an increasingly important part of the of the business or at least it seems to be becoming that way it, but so is catering um can you can you give us a kind of a, a snapshot of catering for firehouse uh, certainly. Uh, catering for our system uh, is a little bit uh, a little bit uneven. We have on the high end restaurants that will do as much as 30% of their sales in catering. 
And, and that is really a credit to the operators in those markets who, who go out and, and just hit the streets, business to business, uh, B2C, uh, really drumming up catering business, establishing those relationships, establishing a great track record for servicing those accounts because the, having consistent professional service on your catering is such an important ingredient for holding that business and getting repeat usage, especially in a B2B uh, env environment. Um, our average in the system though, uh, by contrast is 5% of sales. So it just shows how much uh, room there is uh, to continue to grow that piece of the business. Uh, and we, we've been very focused on it for a number of years, uh, but it's also a space that uh, over the course of the past, I'd say 10, even 12 years has become much more crowded. I go back 10 years ago and it was rare to see a restaurant brand, especially if you're in the QSR or fast casual space, it was doing any advertising of catering. And by advertising, I don't even mean uh, through, through media or so on, just in restaurant, uh, point of purchase materials and so on to promote uh, catering. So it was when we started getting involved in it, it really was uh, a virgin territory, but now it's a very busy space with virtually every brand having some form of a catering program. Uh, so the, the real key is I, think uh, having a uh, yeah well you always have to have a great product um it has to be positioned for price well because especially in a business to business environment so many of your clients are working within budget parameters that that you need to find a way to fit into uh, and then that service element really being dependable now usually when you're doing catering business to business there's there's a gatekeeper for that business like a, a key person maybe it's a executive uh, assistant, administrative assistant, office manager, somebody who's responsible for that. And the last thing you want to do is make that person's life difficult by having <laughs> an order that shows up late or incomplete and uh, they, they will move on from you so quickly uh, because you've, in some respects, you've, uh, you perhaps have even tarnished their reputation for being able to put on a good event. So ser services uh, premium for, for building your business. It's interesting. You know, it seems like we spend more and more time at work and um, so more and more need to call food to us. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and hence the, um, of course, the, hence the emergence of the third party delivery services uh, just for not that service can be used for catering as well. But of course, most of that growth is of the third party delivery services is coming on the uh, Oh, more on the, uh, I, I wouldn't categorize it as catering, normal menu items being delivered um, by the, the DoorDashes and Grubhubs and Uber Eats of, of the world. Uh, so that's a, quite a tumultuous arena right now. And uh, uh, even, uh, of course, based on uh, the news about Grubhub just from yesterday and uh, the, the hit, uh, hit that their stock took uh, in the wake of uh, recent earnings reports and uh, so yeah. very, uh, very constantly moving, and I would say even volatile space. Uh, it, it's it's been in constant transition for the last three to four years. Uh, has not stopped moving. Has not stabilized it in virtually any sense. And I think the rate of change in that sector is accelerating almost by the month. Uh, much of what I'd been predicting would happen in the space is coming true. If I look back over the last year or two, the way I've talked about it, but it's, if it, the only thing I'm surprised at is the pace of these things coming about. 
is even faster than than I had been uh, predicting. So you know uh, that's it, interesting sorry, because it it kind of leads into and this question is for fun, but I can't wait to hear mm-hmm. how you answer this. Um, and that is, can you tell us? I don't know, Don. Have you had past firefighting experience? I have not. So, okay, but you're uh, the, you're good. You're getting it by osmosis. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, I I'll tell you this. I know I know a heck of a lot more about uh, firefighting and first responders than I knew 16 years ago. That's uh, <laughs> so. My question to you is. Tell us the best lesson you personally learned in your leadership at Firehouse that might suggest how the restaurant business can be a little like firefighting. You know, I think that uh, probably the most uh, important lesson I could draw on is uh, teamwork and training. You know, when first responders, and we'll stay focused on firefighting since you use that segment for the analogy. For for firefighters to go in and effectively do their job, they need a superb level of training, obviously fitness to do it, but working as a team and where everything becomes intuitive, uh, how they, uh, I mean, it's ingrained. It's it's not intuitive. They've been trained, but it it feels that way. It's it's so ingrained. They don't have to think twice. Um, And the operational side of the restaurant industry is very is very much the same way, especially when you get down to the unit level. So much is about execution and teamwork, and uh, being able to work well together. And training is at the root of that. Training is what create, creates an environment and, and a capacity and a, an ability uh, to be able to execute flawlessly. So I think that's the main lesson that transfers over. And and I think that uh, if I if I go back, take a step back to the headquarters environment. Of course, what we have to do here is to create an environment for our restaurant operators where we're giving them the tools, the training, the inspiration sometimes to be able to uh, execute at those very high levels and uh, put out the fires, if you will. What what a great answer. I thank you so much, Don. It has been a pleasure and a privilege to talk to you today as it has been for you, our audience, to listen to the podcast today for us. Uh, And and just a note, if you're a QSR with a story to tell, shoot me an email at editor at qsrweb.com. I'm always looking for great QSR executives like Dawn to come and share your brand stories. Until then, until the next time, thanks for listening and have a great day, everybody.